Everyone, welcome to the 31st episode of the Game Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Michael Majors. I'm a gold level pro, Michael Majors in Platinum. And we have some cool things to talk about. Uh, first of all, the Patreon is live. If you want to go to Patreon slash The Game Podcast uh, and help support us, that would be great. We would really appreciate it. There are some things that are not final yet. Like, we don't have, like, you know, some god tier rewards thing. We're trying to work that out <laughs> and, and figure out what we we're going to do, but... I feel I feel like we eventually decided to just wait on it for a bit, and then we're working on getting some GRT avatar tokens. So that's your job, Michael. Yeah, yeah, I've I've been commissioned to secure those in Roanoke, Virginia. So I'm on it. Yeah, yeah. So as soon as that happens, cool. But otherwise, we are live, and it's badass, and it only took me six weeks. So not bad. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Sometimes in life, it's it's better to just to commit and do something rather than wait forever. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I committed, you know, about as hard as I can. So I, I think that's what the people expect from us at this point. Yeah, yeah, I, I well, I hope they don't expect more. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, because otherwise they might be disappointed, and that'd be sad. But Well, life is also full of disappointment, Jerry. <laughs> also full of choices. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we need to get the Discord up. I think that's the only thing that we really should take oh, care I, of as soon as possible, right? I have the Discord. Oh, okay, I, I'm just, I don't know how to use it, is basically what I'm oh, trying to say. Jesus, okay. Well, yeah, we'll have to give you a tutorial at some point. But yeah, that is that is up and running. That's That one was one of the first things I did. Okay, all right. So, yeah, look at me on top of things. You're killing it. I am. Thanks, man. Dude, no problem. All right, Almond Cat. Full spoilers out. We have a good idea of what's going on. Uh, I've been poking around the internet, seeing what people are up to, what they're building, and then you know, occasionally you send me a deck list or two that that looks sweet. So I think we have a good idea of what's going to happen. So we're going to talk about what we think are tier one decks for at least week one. You know, who knows what happens by the time the pro tour rolls around. I guess we have this thing looming over us, which is the BNR announcement, which happens next Monday, I believe. And that could just, like, make everything go to hell, right? Like, all of our, all the articles we've written, everything that we thought about, it could all just go to hell. That is true, but I think it's, you know, it's kind of like a warm and fuzzy kind of hell, where it's fine that everything that we've done as content producers is out the window. At least, at least that's my opinion. Yeah, because if change does happen, presumably it's to Four Color Sahili and Mardu, and if that happens, then it's like, hey, cool. You know, now what kind of world are we living in? Either way, it's going to be better than the one that we used to be living in, so why complain, right? The timing is kind of unfortunate. I feel like this probably should have happened a little bit ago, like maybe right after the entire spoiler went up or something, but whatever. Yeah, um, I mean, me speculating, that kind of makes me inclined to believe there are going to be no changes, but who knows? Well, they, they, they had it uh, planned. Like, they had the timing planned already. So it's not like, oh, well, there are going to be no changes, so we can just wait on it. I, I personally think that there are going to be no changes, but we'll see. Yep, we'll see. In the meantime, I guess we're basically giving you our speculative week one SEG Open Atlanta metagame. We, we could be way off. I mean, we've missed this collectively before where it's like uh, white-blue humans when Shadows came out, for example. It's just like kind of a deck that we like glossed over, didn't really expect much of it, and it was like, oh... Well, this this deck is hella good. 
Uh, so hopefully that doesn't happen again, but I feel like certainly to some degree we just kind of ignore aggressive decks and we're just like, ah, you know, it's Tom Ross's job. He'll figure it out, right? And as long as he's not singing the praises of something, then it's probably not great. But now I've been like super interested in these red decks and I think these red decks are good. So it's like, maybe I have it all covered. I don't know. Well, you don't have your uh, B3-2 Flying Death Touch deck, so... So it's, it's hard to I say you have it all covered. I don't. I had a deck with that card in my article. It probably wasn't as hardcore as what Tom was doing. I really like uh, Plague Belcher and Crocodile the Crossing. Which one's Plague Belcher? Uh, the two B five four menace. I'm not familiar with that one. It, it's it's a zombie and it like ETB puts two minus one minus one counters on a creature and whenever uh, okay, <clears throat> whenever another zombie dies, it nugs them. Word. Okay. Yeah, that card seems pretty good. Yeah, those cards are a little too expensive for the 3-2, I think. At least the Crocodile is. But Tom's deck sounded interesting. Just, like, walking ballistas and... Yeah, he was, like, mono-black, super aggressive, low to the ground, 12 one-drops, scrounger, ballista, the 3-2, which name escapes me, I'm sorry. Bone Picker? Bone Picker, that's it. And then just a bunch of removal spells, since uh, killing your opponent's creatures also turns on the 3-2. Yep. Could be good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, it was kind of his first version, hyper-linear deck but it has some good starts triple one drop starts are very powerful when people are not prepared for them the removal is so bad and people generally have their sweepers in the sideboard so if if they're like trying to unlicense disintegration your three two flyer or whatever it's like yeah that's that's way too late yep that's kind of a generic tom ross strategy is steal game one from everyone and then just hope to win one of the next two it is a bold strategy yet works out for him time and time again so probably a good one as far as actual decks, tier one decks, uh, you want to just start with Sahili? Yeah, let's just get out of the way, right? Yeah. I don't know. I played this deck a decent amount, and I was looking at different versions, basically just trying to fit Nissa Steward of Elements into the deck and see what happened, and I didn't really like it just because the deck already has like a bunch of oaths and like a low land count, a tune with ether, harness lightning, and just a, a lot of things that were misses. And also, Felidar Guardian is a little too expensive for you to play Nissa on three and then, like, you know, set it up to hit on four. It's also blatantly not a combo. Right. Also also that. But, you know, hopefully you have other things to Felidar Guardian or whatever. But, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think it is doable. I think it's, like, another cheap threat for decks that are not interacting with you early. So, like, if there are a lot of blue X control decks or what have you, then I think Nissa's really strong. But it does do weird things to the deck, and it's not a card that you can just jam in there. And it's possible that, like, maybe you cut the energy sub-theme and then build your deck differently. But I don't know exactly what you're trying to fill your deck out with, if that's the case. Yeah, I think four-color is just generally too lean of a deck. Like, its its curve tops out at, like, four, and maybe some five-drops post-board in, like, Sky Sovereign. But, like, you're not actually going to properly utilize the lands off Nissa, and I think that's the best mode. Yeah, no, it, it, like that that mode is great. It is really good. There are some things that you can use, like you could have Tracker or Walking Ballista, and then Walking Ballista is like another issue because it's not a very good hit with Nissa. But yeah, I think Tracker is the one where it's like if you move away from energy, like this is definitely the thing that you want to be doing. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I was even going to say that if you do play this card, maybe it is like a pseudo replacement for Tracker in your sideboard against control decks because like it is a similar threat that is difficult for them to deal with. Like if you can create this trifecta of chandra sahili and nissa as your cyborg threats against control decks is very difficult for them to deal with all of them yeah and then the entire time you're also just threatening the combo too which is great 
I think actually what people are really underrating about Nissa is that she is just a fireball in the late game. That well, see, that's another thing where it's like, oh, the lands don't really matter, but like clues definitely are a good way to use those excess lands, and then yeah, you can just tend them. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be pretty common to like cast her on six mana and then tick her up and then just threaten to kill them. Yeah, so it's Nissa is just like the weirdest card, man. It's like I, such I a it. it's cool. It, it's such a cool design. It's like, oh man, there are like so many like actual knobs on these planeswalkers that they haven't really explored and it's all just like kind of wrapped up in this one card which is sort of a disappointment but in the meantime it's just like oh man this is like you know kind of like a new card type or whatever it's like so weird yeah i don't know i mean i don't i don't think they're going to really keep this like x casting cost planeswalker thing going i, I think you can only basically print like one of them every couple years so i'm, I'm, I'm happy this card exists i don't think it like you know, sucked up too much cool Planeswalker design space. No, but maybe this should happen, like, once every couple years, right? But it's, like, how long has it been? Like, 10, 11 years since these things came out, and, like, this is the first time it's happened? It's, like, just kind of Yeah, I, I think they're probably more... Cons- well, <laughs> I'm, I'm about to say this statement. It's going to sound ridiculous because Gideon exists, but, it's like, I, I think they've just been trying to, like, balance the power level and make them fun to play against. But, <laughs> you know, it's 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 all a progression, right? Yeah, sometimes sometimes you miss, you know? Yeah, sometimes you miss. So, uh, one of the cool things about Nyssa is that... So, it restricts the design constraints for your deck, right? And the coolest thing that I found is, like, getting one of the one-drop Death Touchers off it to kind of act like a removal spell. So, either Narwa Dryad or Narnum Renegade, I think, is the other one. Yep. The, uh, the, I love it. That's awesome. The Cedric Phillips special. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's like trying to build my decks like that, where it's like, okay, maybe I don't play Harness Lightning, maybe I just play like a Death Toucher, and obviously that's worse, but it makes your Nissus better, so maybe it's okay, you know? And there's such cheap hits, too. I'm I'm very pro, like, creating a Planeswalker that is very powerful, but also, like, creates payoff incentives for deck building. It's it's super cool. Yeah, so this this is going to be one of my favorite cards to build with, I think, regardless of how good it is. But that said, probably doesn't fit. It doesn't get like jammed right into four color Sahili. It, it's it is probably a sideboard card. It, I mean, I, I do like Tireless Tracker. I especially like Tireless Tracker with Metallic Rebuke. But <laughs> I know it is. Oh, I know you know, and I'm pretty sure that everyone else knows. But I just got to reiterate that Nissa could be a good sideboard card. It could be a pretty good main deck card too if you find some way to like retool things that you know in a way that you're happy with. But I also just want to make it clear that I'm very happy that this is a three-mana Planeswalker that could go in four-color Sahili and does not just, like, cleanly slot in. That's a good thing. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I mean, we're going to talk about Sahili and Mardu, and one of the common things is, like, these decks didn't really get a whole lot. Yep, uh, some some role players, like, you know, some, some potential ads, but no just, like, slam dunks. On the flip side of things, there's, like, Manglehorn which is the big one, is great against both of these two decks and certainly could be utilized in Sahili. But yeah, like there are some new tools against them too, plus just a lot of good cards for other decks. So it is possible that like other decks are now maybe on the power level of these two. So hopefully that's kind of what we see, or at the very least we see some of the decks that were close, like, you know, black, green, and maybe mono red or red, black or whatever, kind of like rise up and Maybe just have a good matchup against these two. Like, maybe they don't need to be as good as them, but as long as, like, you're you're 60-40 or something, it should be good. Yeah, I mean, just giving people the flexibility to be competitive, and it's fine if, you know, decks are, you know, have some 60-40 matchups and then maybe some unfavorable ones. Like, 
that's a good place for Shannon to be in. Yeah, absolutely. So, Sahili, not much that I can see, but I'm going to keep working. I assume that you are not super interested in this deck? Correct. I was about to say I'm not going to work on it, but I respect that <laughs> you are. Just at all. Why not work with Nyssa? Uh, I'm down to work with Nyssa, but I kind of agree with you that like I just I don't really want to build a four color deck with it. I mean, maybe you can like completely refigure you know the deck com- to have a non energy theme, I guess. But like at that point, I think you lose too many cards to play like the traditional game that the deck is built around. Yeah, that's entirely possible too. Like even like just not losing Harness Lightning in itself is probably too big of a blow. Oh, but Narwhal Dryad, you're forgetting. <laughs> well, uh, if if you're nissing into Narwhal Dryad and your opponent in the mirror matches has Harness Lightning in their deck and is just trying to kill you, I think there's a problem. Yeah, that is true. Well, what about Mardu Do? So big standout to me is that Heart of Karen looks a lot worse in this format between like Manglehorn, Dissenter's Deliverance. Even the red X removal spell, which I, I don't really think you would play over release of Gremlins in most situations, but point being, there's there's a lot of hate. Uh, Magma Spray for Scrappy Scrounger. Scrappy Scrounger was like the premier threat in a lot of matchups against control decks, and now they have a clean answer to that. So a reasonable amount of hate against Mardu, and the only card that it really looks like they could play is Cast Out, which is also fine against them. Right. I was going to say, Cast Out also just gives control decks a big tool against you, where it's you know, it handles Scrap Heap or Gideon or Avacyn, like whatever problem that they're facing down. It's like, now they have a clean answer. It's a little clunky, but it is, it's better than just being like, oh, they stuck a threat, so I'm dead for sure. Uh, my initial takeaway is that Mardu will become a little less aggressive than it was accustomed to, especially in game one scenarios. It, it was pretty normal for post-board you to like transform into this Planeswalker control deck, but I think it's possible that Mardu is just a default planeswalker control deck now like nahiri looks super good if everybody's playing cast out yeah that's true you can't be reliant on your scrap heaps grounder just like dealing a bunch of damage in a lot of matchups i'm gonna add nahiri to my four color sahili no energy list sure yeah wrote that one down i mean nahiri nahiri is traditionally underrated oh yeah yeah definitely i mean we we missed it for gp new york like that it was the card it was the one that allowed you to just like filter through your draws and and make it so like you never really got screwed or flooded in the mirror match i think it was just the defining card at the end of the season it was the card that shit on me twice and ended my tournament abruptly yeah there you go (laughs) and you're just like what what the hell is wrong with us why don't we have this card in our deck yeah it was even like a known quantity like it was in some of the stock lists and we just didn't play it we're dumb yeah so blew it nahiri great so like nahiri's pretty like not even pretty good very good when you're on, on, like, mana economy, you're, like, trading it with, like, their two or three mana enchantment when it enters the battlefield. But if you're actually just, like, trading evenly with cast out and keeping a Planeswalker around, it's just such a massive blow. Yeah, I mean, that's gotta be game over, or at least close to it, you know? They need a an insane follow-up turn after that. Dude, Nahiri just eats Drakehaven. That's stupid. I was I was gonna bring up Drakehaven. Oh, God. I just, it didn't even occur to me until just now. <laughs> so the other thing I want to bring up in regards to Mardu is that these blue decks like actually have a clock against them too in Drakehaven if they want it. Uh, I guess it just dies in Nahiri, you know, but whatever. I, I think that was kind of the problem is that Mardu could just like sit on their one unlicensed disintegration and it was really difficult for the control decks to actually pressure them or attack a Planeswalker, but now the blue decks can potentially just go as wide as you are and have a lot of 2-2 flyers to pressure Planeswalkers and stuff. So Drakehaven is pretty real too. 
I certainly agree that Drakehaven is real, but I think I would just default to building my Mardu deck with Nahiri's in the main deck. The, the more yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about it now. No, and I'm, I'm right there with you. I agree. If people are cast-outing your Gideons, this seems like the perfect answer, so... Yep. But I, I do think your point is valid, nonetheless. Like, just creating a bunch of 2-2 flyers, it should generically be good against Mardu. Yeah, and the, the decks didn't have the capability of doing that before, and how is Mardu going to handle that, you know? Like, yeah, they, they could have cast-out, and that's fine. Most of the time, it's like, Drakehaven is going to beat Gideon in the course of two turns, so I, I do think that that's a pretty big pickup, too. Yep. Uh, my only concern there would be, like... Maybe if you have to go through the effort of A, casting Drakehaven, then, like, B, you know, best-case scenario, you're, you're cycling twice on turn four to make two Drakes. Like, that that's a pretty big window of time for them just to put pressure on you with Toolcraft Exemplar or Scrap Heap Scrounger. Yeah, true. I mean, you definitely need something to clean up the early stuff first. But if what you're talking about happens where it's like they slow down because they kind of have to, and then you just get weaker to these sorts of cards. Uh, other than that, I mean, Marty was still good. It is still kind of like this confused mishmash of cards but they have the most mythic rares so they're the best deck right that's how it works sort of actually i don't i don't know i think i think being confused isn't a negative thing anymore like not always just having access to like these very different types of permanents just makes your deck so much better in like standard now yeah i wasn't really talking about the types of permanents it was more so like trying to curve toolcraft exemplar into avacyn Sure. I mean, the, the classic one in five strategy is a bit awkward at times. Yeah. If they do more, move more into this mid-rangey thing, I kind of like that just because the deck is mo- more coherent. And I don't know, they, they might have to do that just because like the mishmash sometimes doesn't come together. And if everyone else's decks are really good, then uh, you're going to get punished by that more and more. Yeah, I, I do think that Mardu, like the big change to Mardu has to be like tightening up and just adapting to the new decks that are out there. Whereas Sahili, I don't think is going to change very much. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Mardu is kind of just becoming this rock deck, essentially, where it just slowly metagames, and once it's figured out, it's very good again. All right. Uh, what about red decks? Have you done anything with any sort of red deck? Uh, I've thought a lot about various like Lightning Axe, Red Black Shells, but as far as just like generic red deck wins, I think you're a bit more experienced with that than I am. Okay, so... There, there are just, like, so many things that I want to be doing. It's tough. It, it's just the red-black problem, where it's like, you have so many cards, they're all kind of medium, right? And you're probably going to get it wrong to some degree. One of the lists I really like uh, has some Lightning Axes and Haunted Dead, just to, like, keep the madness stuff going. And, like, now with Blood Rage Brawler, I think you have enough discard outlets to actually make Haunted Dead consistent, which then makes, like, your Fiery Tempers consistent, your Blood Hall Priest consistent... Hazaret too, so I think I like that direction. Yeah, just like really working to try to replace Smuggler's Copter's Absence. Yep, pretty much. We are jumping through a lot of hoops to do it, but <laughs> I think it is worth it. Yeah, that's reasonable. The red decks are super weird in this format just because like there are a bunch of good cards that you can play, but none of them are like significantly better on rate than any of the other ones, so you actually do just have to make a choice of like these various sixes and sevens. So that, that's been the toughest thing for me. It's like, I could I could write out like an 80 or 90 card deck list, and then it's just figuring out what you actually want to play. It's like, you know, do I want to work hard enough to turn on Lupine Prototype? Is that even worth it? Like, is Soul Scar Mage even playable? Uh, how many Hazaret should I play? How much Artifact Synergy should I have? Just stuff like that. Should and you play with Craw Worms? Hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm leaning towards no. Oh, man. 
So before the show, Major sent me this list that's just like 12 cycling monsters and Lilianas. And it's and, cute. And Scrap Heap and, and Corrupted Graphstone. Yeah, I mean, you had you had, you had did have 60 cards. You know, it was a complete deck, Thanks. technically. Mm-hmm. 70, 75, actually. It was, <laughs> it was basically ramping like Scrap Heap Scrounger right up to the Crawworm, whatever the 6-mana <laughs> six 6-4 six cycler is. Except he was missing a lot of 3 and 4 mana cards. It was just like, eh, turns 3 and 4, we're just going to be cycling. And hopefully that's good. Nah, like Lightning Axe plus Fiery Temper and License Disintegration or <laughs> Scrap Heap Scrounger. <laughs> so, one of the things that I think is worth bringing up is, like, how good Lightning Axe Fiery Temper is at stopping aggression. And how before the decks didn't have, like, a really good way of capitalizing on that. It was like, oh man... I hope I get to bring back my 3-1 flyer and then emerge a Deep Fiend and hope it just doesn't get blown up, right? We're talking about blue-red. Well, yeah, I mean, blue-red or black-red, too. It was like, okay, so I can, like, use a bunch of resources to Fiery Temper Lightning Axe, but then what am I doing past that? And it's like, now you have Liliana, which I like. I like that aspect of your deck. It is weird that Liliana reanimated thing just dies to disintegration, though. Yes, that that is the one hole in, in Liliana's play patterns, but she is super, super good. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I, I think Temper Lightning Axe is just going to be really good. Previously, it was just like, you know, Blood, Blood Hall Priest to try to capitalize on it as far as like Black Red's concerned. I don't think the Black Red Zombie deck was ever any good, to be completely honest. But Blue Red deck was a, you know, pretty competitive fringe deck last season, and it got a lot better with Drake Haven. We're, we're definitely going to talk a lot about that one because I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, Red Black is good. Got to figure it out. Don't know how, basically, but going to keep working. Uh, the other thing that I've seen pop up is red-green. It looks okay. It's just kind of like the more straightforward, aggressive version of the deck. But it has Noose Constrictor and Ronus, or Ronus, however you pronounce it. And, you know, things like Honored Hydra and Manglehorn. So what you're doing with your discard outlet is basically just dealing them a bunch of damage with Flameblade Adept or making a Roar of the Worm. But, like, Noose Constrictor is super good with Hazaret and... I really like Blossoming Defense, especially in decks like this, but I don't know if, if, if like, red-green is comparable to red-black. I don't know. I, I don't mean, know. It, it's, it's worth mentioning specifically, like, that the payoff for this deck is being able to play with the gods. Ronus specifically it looks super good to me. Yeah, I agree. I think Ronus and Hazaret are the two that are definitely going to see play, and then Bontu, I think, the black one, is yeah. the one where I'm like, ooh, I don't know. It, lo- it reads really good. Yep, Bontu is the the optimist in me, and Hazaret and Ronus are the reality. I think. Well, are you are you down with Roar of the Worm? Are you excited for this? It doesn't seem like I'm, I'm pretty lukewarm on Roar of the Worm, to be honest. Yeah, it, it's like it, so it's a four mana six six trampler, effectively. Like assuming your deck is doing its thing and you can put it in the graveyard, and I'm just like not even that excited about it. The problem is like what this card should be good at is. You know, either either giving you this like really powerful curve out start if you are able to discard this for profit at some point, or when you top deck it in late game, it's you know two really resilient threats in one card. But just like deploying a six six for six mana in these like grindy late game scenarios just isn't how magic works anymore. Yeah, not really. I, I basically feel like the front side is not a thing. Yeah, and that's that's the problem. It's like when you actually have to pair this with an, an enabler for it to get any real value. It's like a madness card, but you can put it on layaway. That is basically how I look at it. Yeah, that that's reasonable. But it's a little bit worse than a madness card because its front end is basically uncastable. But it's not if you're if you're hard casting arrogant worm, I don't think you're gonna win that game anyway, so Yeah, for sure. But like casting fiery temper is reasonable. Sure. 
Also, I'm not super happy with hardcasting fiery temper, but no, of course not. But sometimes the games go that way, and it's it's it is it is doable. If it's if it's the last card I'm casting, then it's okay. Mm-hmm. So red decks, are you scared of these things, or what's the deal? You haven't been working on them. Uh, do, you, do you think do you think that people are going to show up and play them? I don't know. I I think people will likely default to like Thalia's Lieutenant's decks first. Those tend to be the decks I'm scared or more scared of because triple one drop starts actually punish like if i if i have a if i have a blind blind spot in deck building whereas like these red green decks like usually i can contend with like two drop into three drop i'm not sure if i explained that properly but no you did i mean like obviously whatever deck you play is going to have some amount of defense in it right and it's it's going to be like the smother type of thing but you're not necessarily going to have like wrath of god or sweltering sun's main deck Right. So yeah, if they if they just play two mana three three or whatever, you're like, yep, I can I can kill their first two threats, and if they're not pressuring me by a ton, then they're probably not going to be able to compete with whatever I'm doing. But if if Tom just shows up, my deck isn't like equipped to handle his, and he just goes one drop turn two one drop one drop, then I'm probably just going to die. Yeah, you kill one of them, and you're taking five for the rest of the game. So yep. Well, we could play, you know, twenty red one drops and reckless bushwhacker, and you could never win. Yeah, I, I'm not going to do that. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I would assume not, but people might do it against you. Like, Bushwhacker is pretty real, I think. People have done it. Yeah, yeah, Bush, Bushwhacker is very good, but the amount of hoops that you have to jump through to make that card good is ambitious. Is it more or less hoops than Crawworm? Dude, there is no shame in our cycle. Zero shame. What if 20 cards in your deck are our cycle? It's only four. Okay, I actually think the the Black Bee cycle is quite good. And Archfiend is, like, a real card. Archfiend is good. Archfiend, especially with Key, is good. Yeah, our, our Archfiend is actual just insurance against the Sahili combo, which makes it a real card. Yeah. All right, well, now I think is the time of the show where you get to talk about Drakehaven. Where should we start? Uh, we can start with Blue-Red Emerge, and then we'll work our way into Blue Control decks. Yeah, so so basically looking at the way that Blue-Red Emerge decks were configured at the end of last season, it's pretty universal that everyone played four Fever Visions in their main deck. Basically the theory being that you can like chip shot your opponent a little bit, especially if you play it on turn three on the play, but you also just need more fuel to make your zombies effective. Because a big problem with this deck is if it didn't draw one or two prized amalgams, then you know essentially you're spending two mana and two cards to put a three power flyer onto the battlefield, which isn't terribly impressive sure you can pair with like elder deep fiend and start the chain but you kind of need a little bit more help to get over the finish line so fever visions helped with that but drake haven kind of like just stops all the nonsense and just every every time that you return one of these zombies to the battlefield you're putting four power into play as well it also just makes your other cards better like your lightning axis cathartic reunions tormenting voices all of your enablers suddenly just have like tacked on value so i think that you can reasonably expect this to make like four or five drakes over the course of a game it is, like, kind of scary how quick you can put a clock on someone with this card. And, like I was saying earlier, Lightning Axe Fiery Temper just... It, it puts the brakes on your opponent, you know? So if you get to do that on two, this on three, and then just anything starting on turn four, like, they're so far behind. It doesn't even really matter what's in your deck as long as you can activate this thing. I don't even think you're going to do that combination on turn two. You're going to do it on turn four because you get two drakes out of it. Or I guess you only get one, excuse me, but still. I mean, either I just assume that they're going to go like Exemplar into Scrappy or Adept into Noose Constrictor or whatever, you know, like there are enough good one drops now where I think the pressure is starting really early. 
Yeah, that's reasonable. I don't know. I, I think it's it's potentially one of the tools that just puts this deck over the top because you're right. Like the lightning axe fiery temper combination or engine or whatever you want to call it is super powerful. It's just trying to find a good home for it. So you're doing some graveyard stuff. You have like some K returns and all that good business. Well, the, uh, the old list did. You don't necessarily have to do it now. You don't have to. Okay, so what I like is that if you have Drakehaven in play, you stop their early aggression. K return just kind of like slams the door on them, right? Uh, sure. It, it kind of, like, lets you pace the game appropriately. You don't actually have to get aggressive. And it maybe you're not playing, like, four or whatever. Maybe it's two or three. I guess I don't know, like, how much deck space is being taken up by Drakehaven. Like, I don't know if you're still playing Tormenting Voice and Cathartic Reunion. I think you're playing some number. I also want to play Curator because it also kind of marginally synergizes with the rest of the deck. I don't know. I think I think you might just want to activate Drakehaven off of the the zombies. That's possible, but I I mean honestly, tacking on Scry two to your zombie activation is quite good. It can help you dig for Deep Fiends or Prized Amalgams to start the chain. It's sort of like acts as a pseudo fever vision. So you're not getting raw cards, but like the selection is important in a deck like this. Yeah, that's fair. Just worried about having too much air. Yeah, that's entirely possible. But you know, again, you cycle it for you. <laughs> We're, how many times are we going to have this conversation? I, I think that this set is actually... like I really like Amonkhet, but it might be detrimental to my success as a competitive Magic player because it just like appeals to all of the, like, the bad habits in me. Yeah, that's fair. You had another card for this deck that you wanted to talk about. One of the funky split cards. I, I'm pretty sure you're the first one to mention this, honestly. So I did, I did, but like you're the one working on this deck, I think, not me, so... Okay, so reduced to rubble. The front half is from your hand to you instant counter target spell unless the controller pays three. And the back half, the is it fate or dawn? What is it? Aftermath? That's right, yeah. Two R sorcery, up to three target lands don't untap during the controller to the next untap step. So if you like deep fiend your opponent on turn five and then untap and rubble them, you've effectively time walked them. And that seems very powerful to me. Yeah, so this would be a reasonable sideboard card for mid-range decks or control decks. Yeah, exactly. It's because, like, you know, presumably the the reduced side is actually impactful. If they're casting maybe four or five mana planeswalkers, you counter it. The next turn cycle, you deep fiend them, and then you rubble them. Then you're suddenly just, like, way out in front. Yeah, the hope is that the counter spell is live, but even if it's not, like, this is a deck that's, like, discarding cards for value, and if you're cycling this with Tormenting Voice or whatever, that's completely fine, too. And then it just changes how they have to play the game. Yeah, it, it suddenly makes the, the game super difficult for them to play. I think it has a lot of potential. Uh, yeah, I do too. It could be sweet. I mean, if we're talking about like turn five scenarios, maybe tapping three lands is not enough to like completely lock them out. But yeah, I feel like you're seeing enough cards over the course of a game that you could do this like two-ish turns in a row uh, after a Deep Fiend. And then, you know, it should be pretty easy to win at that point. At the very least, like like you said, it's kind of functionally free because you have so many ways to just instantly discard this. So it's, it's kind of like generating a free card and you just get this huge surge of tempo. Yeah, so I, I think that's interesting. It's, it's possible that in practice it just doesn't come down to that. And yeah, maybe maybe keeping three tapped is not enough, but it seems interesting. Definitely worth trying. I mean, there's certainly a, like a window of effectiveness on this card, but I think generally speaking, if you're going late against generic mid-range deck, you're probably a favorite. Yeah, that's probably true too, but I don't know. Worst case scenario, it's like, this is like the negate or whatever that you would board in anyway, and it's not that much worse. Right. Just the additional utility is probably good enough. And also, that there, I mean, there's situations where if your opponent just ever stumbles and you rubble them, they just lose the game on the spot. Very true. It is, then at that point, it's time walk. 
Well, what about Drakehaven in pure control? So, like, I've been building blue-white control decks. I naturally just end up with a lot of cycling cards in my deck anyway. Like, cast out the cycle lands, sensor, renewed faith. Possible that you want to play whatever the inspiration is. Maybe pull from tomorrow is better. I don't know. But, you know, you have, you have like, 15 cycling cards naturally. Not a lot of ways to discard cards or whatever. Like... Are you interested in playing Drakehaven in those sorts of decks too, or do you feel like you have to be doing something busted with it? I am interested in playing Drakehaven in those decks, but I do not think it's just like an auto four of. I think it's like a two of that complements your Torrential Gear Hulks. Yeah. As an aside, I actually do think the Cycling Inspiration is one of the most not talked about cards in the set. I think it's very, very good. Well, how many Glimmers do you want? Well, I mean, like, I, th- I think it's getting into the territory where you can replace Glimmer. Mm, I don't know. They're not they're not the same thing, man. Like you can talk about like just having more raw resources, which is what inspiration does for you, but I think Glimmer does a really good job of just finding things that you actually need. I mean, the reason I thought Glimmer or you know, I considered Glimmer the most important card in the deck previously is because there was just so little of these effects. You basically were forced to play anticipate because that's how you you know, you made your deck function, and then you need a glimmer to actually pull ahead. But now that you have, like, this general velocity just, like, peppered throughout your deck and, like, a bunch of your interactive cards, too, like Sensor, and you also have uh, Pull From Tomorrow, which is actually just, like, this huge breaker, I don't think you're super reliant on just, like, this generic draw to. So Hieroglyphic Illumination seems like something that could replace Glimmer. Like, there's certainly not the same thing. I, I agree with you. The fact that you can, like, cycle this early to set up Gear Hulk, or if you just, like, have Reprieve, you can draw to is really good, I think. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of merit in having a thing that you can deposit in your graveyard. Like, when the full spoiler came out, I did a cursory glance for, like, big, stupid instants that also had cycling. Uh, found none. Smart. It's like Wizards figured that out. Yeah, unless you want to count, like, four mana, seven to a creature or whatever, but I don't. So, yeah, it's it's possible that, like, there were turns where you wanted to play Gearhulk and cast Glimmer, but, like, you didn't actually have time to cast the Glimmer. So, yeah, maybe the hieroglyphic thingy is better. I don't know. And I guess now that I'm looking at my blue-white list, like, I have Glimmer and literally nothing to use energy on. Like, I should probably just have Hub instead of Prairie Stream or something at the very least, but... I, I'm not I'm not necessarily advocating a world where you play zero Glimmer and four Hieroglyphic, but, like, 2-2 two, two seems like a reasonable number to me. Sure. Uh, it's just, I'm looking at my list and it's like, yeah, I mean, I do have a ton of velocity already. How often do I think I'm going to need to dig for something specific? The answer is probably not very high like you have sensor and essence scatter and negate so you have a lot of early counter spells you have cast out to deal with things that slip through like you're not as flimsy as previous versions of this deck so it's entirely possible that you don't need the scry tech on you'd rather just prefer the versatility yep uh big things that had cycling kind of what you were talking about i think the most interesting one is lay claim but i don't really know how you abuse it that's the seven mana confiscate with cycling too isn't that an enchantment yes that's why I'm saying yeah. I, I don't know a good way to abuse it, but that's, like, the best big thing, I think. Oh, sure. I was just talking, like, instance for Gearhulk. Right, right, right. But yeah, I, like, Lay Claim is interesting, too. I mean, stealing a Planeswalker is big game. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you can main deck it. I feel like this is probably, like, a sideboard card for when the game slow down, but, yeah, that card is definitely interesting. Yeah, I agree. It's also something that's semi-vulnerable to cast out, which is something to keep in mind. It's like, oh, you put an Ulamog into play, well mine it, it does steal like marvel planeswalkers ulamog all that nonsense it's probably, it's you probably cast... better for you to be gaining seven life for that amount of mana but <laughs> if if you cast this card you're probably gonna win the game 
should be winning the game. And if you cycle it, cool. Whatever. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I haven't worked on like tons of dedicated control decks yet in this format, but they are they're definitely a lot more appealing than they were previously. So you played it at the Pro Tour, and I don't know. It's like, oh, I could actually like potentially see myself playing a deck like this. I don't really want to. I'd much prefer to play like a red deck or black green or a Sahili or something. I didn't really play but, Jeskai Control at the Pro Tour. I played Jeskai Delver 5-6. Yeah, the, de- the deck is much different now. You can actually play a control game. Yeah. Pre- previously, like, you were kind of forced to take an aggressive stance the vast majority of the time. Y- you were you were Snapcaster Lightning Bolt, uh, like, from your Splinter Twin deck every game. As, as usual, I guess this is kind of just the progression of magic. Once you take a more aggressive stance in most games, especially with, like, these these bigger decks, you're you're usually going to win more. Yep. Trying to just, like, deal with their threats and, and grind them out and put them in a chokehold or whatever. It just it's, doesn't work. Yeah, it's too scary because all the cards in their deck are mythics, too. So, Drakehaven them. That's what we're going to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm all about it. I'm excited about the Emerge deck. I'm definitely going to start, you know, sketching out these control decks for sure. I'm, I'm definitely interested in them. Jeskai Sahili to me, seems like it's just not a thing. Yeah, I, I think that now that basically what you alluded to that these decks have like an actual reasonable curve and they can reliably hit their land drops and kind of just play interactive magic up the curve and they have a big breaker and pull from tomorrow, you don't need this like cheese out win. Yeah, I agree. Like before that's what it was, right? It's like, ah, we can't compete as a real deck. I guess I guess we just, you know, try and combo some people and it's like, nah, you don't even need to do that anymore. Like you can actually just kill them with Drakehaven or Gideon or Gearhulk or whatever. If someone finds, like, a reasonable reason to put the Sahili combo into a blue-white control deck, I would be very surprised. Yeah, even just for the reason that it butchers the mana base. Like, that's a significant cost. Agreed. I dealt with way too many Temple of Tilts at the last PT. I'm off it. Oh, man. I hear you. Now it's like you have the cycle land, so you you have an option at least. Yeah, I, I think the ban has also developed to the point in standard where everyone's kind of in, like, too good of mana territory, so you actually need to, like, dial it back a bit. I agree with that too. My deck had two prairie streams in it because it was like, why? I have like all these dual lands. My poor town's always ETB untapped. I have a bunch of cyclers. Like, I'm never going to have mana problems. Yep. The, the, the shadow lands are for sure the big winners. Absolutely. I think, okay, so, uh, segue. When I was building random three color decks for my article, I realized the combinations that have two Shadowlands where you want to play one drops, Jund, for example, right? Like you could potentially build a Jund deck that wants to play eight red one drops, Noose Constrictor, and Scrounger because you have eight of the Shadowlands and just like a bunch of cycling lands that can turn them on. So like three color mana bases are, I think, got a lot better. Yeah, as long as I think you're interested in playing like 22 to 24 lands. Because those decks actually support the cycling lands pretty well. Yeah, so random aside, but I, th- I thought that was a pretty cool thing where it's like, that, that kind of opens up deck building a little bit for me. Yeah, I, I kind of had this similar experience where I'm consistently putting like 2 to 3x of battle lands in my deck. Yeah, but not many. Right. Yep, just don't need them. And hopefully there, there comes a day where I just don't have to play these things anymore. Well, you know, it'll come in about a year or whatever, but it's coming. <laughs> Oh man, it should have came already. These things in Gideon should have been gone. Well, they're they're not. But maybe well, they will be on Monday, we'll see. Uh banning battle for Zendikar. <laughs> I was I was there for a BNR announcement. <laughs> that would be so awesome. <laughs> I'd love it. <laughs> yeah. So last control tool is your favorite, Dynable Tower. Uh it's not my favorite. I think this card sucks. That's the joke. Oh, thanks. Ah. 
now now everyone at home knows the joke too Manglehorn Dissenter's Deliverance is that the I'm like 99% sure that that's the name but I, I keep like messing that one up specifically yeah Dissenter's Deliverance Cycling Killing Artifact yeah also a random segue A this card is super good just, there's there's random artifacts you can destroy and like the ceiling on being able to destroy an artifact on curve say Heart of Kirin or Dynavolt Tower with this is so so massive and the opportunity cost for playing is very low because you can just cycle it for one mana I think you should be playing this card. It is great. And what about what about obsolescence? If you want to kill Scrappy, so the way I see it, if you're a blue greenish control deck, you're probably already like dipping into Magma Spray. And if you're a bigger deck, I think putting it on the bottom is pretty marginal. So I think just being able to cycle the card is better. Like in like save okay. Delirium shovels. And I was gonna mention, I think Scarab Feast is really really good. Yeah, you you like cycling cards. Because you can either cast them or cycle them. It's true. You're given two options. Two choices, one might even say. And life is full of choices. It, it really is. Right, Sometimes right just now, two. But. Right now, your choice is you're, you're opting for more choices. It's like wishing for more wishes. It's it's really an exponential thing. God, you're going to like cycle a card into a card with cycling and just your head's going to explode. Like I said, I, I think Amonkhet is, is actually bad for me. But we'll see what happens. <laughs> So people should be main decking disenchant still. Uh, I think among the decks that we've talked about, it's like yeah, blue white doesn't really have any targets except for like Gear Hulk. But at that point, it's kind of too late ish for things like Manglehorn at least. Uh, there's also um, Forsake the Worldly, which is quite good for cast out. Yeah, that one that one's a little bit worse, but yeah, uh, a little bit better value. But I do believe that cast out is going to be that prominent. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. If you don't have an artifact, you probably have a cast out. That's probably how it's going to work. Yeah, I actually think that's a pretty good way of putting it. Or Drakehaven. Like, I, I, I can't even imagine a yeah. world where you don't have artifact, Drakehaven, or cast out. Yeah, if you are mono-white or something, but then you probably have, like, always watching, so whatever. There's always going to be something. Maybe you just even, like, hit their Oath of Nissa and they can't cast their Sahilis anymore. What a, what a oh, beautiful yeah. world that would be. Please kill my Oath of Nissa. <laughs> Yeah, I would not recommend spending three mana to kill Oath of Nyssa, but generally speaking, the, these cycling disenchant effects are very, very good. Dynavolt Tower, probably getting less good. I also think as just as the format naturally speeds up, like more cards get introduced, that Dynavolt Tower gets worse, especially when you see things like the gods, right? Where it's just like, you can't lightning bolt these things, you know? That thing doesn't take care of every single threat anymore. People are just like moving away from the small ball stuff too, like... We, we talked about how Marty's probably going to go bigger. Stuff like Glorybringer got printed. Sahili, like, sure, Dynavolt Tower kind of insulates you from Sahili, but, like, they're probably going to have some number of Manglehorn or uh, Descender's Deliverance in their main deck or sideboard. Oh, hell yeah. So, like, I, I just don't think this card really accomplishes much anymore. I agree. And white just seems like a much better control color than green and red to some degree. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. Cast out is that good. Miss Magma Spray a little bit. I'll play my Immolating Glares, though, whatever. Immolating Glare is really underrated, I think. Especially now, like, Glorybringer is, is another perfect card where Immolating Glare is super good against. So, last deck, and I'm going to lock this in for the Pro Tour, I think. Going to talk about Black-Green. I, I, I am really impressed with Green-Black Delirium so far. Okay. You're, like, more controlly though, right? Yeah, basically just trying to grind him out with Liliana. Yeah, I don't like that plan. I just want to attack people. I like I like Manglehorn and, and Ronis and Winding. I, I would love to play Channeler Initiate too, but I don't think I can with Snake. I mean, you definitely have to play Winding Constructor. That card's just way too good. I didn't even think about the fact that you can just like pump up your Ronis. I mean, 
I'm just so used to the Theros gods, basically. Pump it up with what? I mean, just like naturally on curve, you can just pump it up. Like, it is a creature all the time. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, that's that's been like what a lot of my decks have been trying to do. It's like, I don't want to spend turn three playing Bontu and then just like not attack with it for two turns. That just sucks. But Ronus is the one where it's like, oh, this thing is just on. It's like, think about how often Lamhole Pacifist was on, right? Yeah, that's actually a really good comparison. I hadn't thought about that. And if if you if you want to make it happen, you can make it happen. Probably, you could just play Lamhole Pacifist in these decks. Potentially, I don't know. Yeah, I thought about it too. Like, so my my black green one, I think had I had Ballista Constrictor, which I think are locks, right? And then you can play a Mana Dork or Sylvan Advocate or Scrap Heap Scrounger. Yeah, that sounds about right. Sylvan Advocate's like a good creature on curve to pump to dominate combat, and then late in the game, it just naturally turns on Ronus by itself. Yeah. Sweet. I, I have the major stamp of approval. I like it. Yeah, I mean, I need to see these lists because they were, I don't know, like, Ronis, like, competes with Rishkar on curve, and, you know, it's hard to, like, include Tireless Tracker in addition to all those cards, so. Yeah, the deck didn't have a, a ton of threes before. It was just Rishkar and whatever else, like, if you want to play Sifter or Tracker. Right. Uh, so Ronis kind of fits, especially if your two-drop thing is not a mana creature, then you just curve naturally, right? I mean, I definitely think it fits. It's just... It's, it's interesting what the list looks like as a whole now because you're trying to support Whiting Constrictor as well. Uh, the list I think I have in my article this week has Nissa in it, so it's kind of nonsense. But it's like, eh, we're going to try this, you know? And I think I had a more aggressive one two weeks ago where I had, like, 15 two-drops maybe. Okay. Yeah, you, you do have, a, like, a huge wealth of option of twos. I think Brad and them played, like, 16 twos at the PT, just, like, an absurd number. Yeah, that is a lot. So I like the two drops, and I like not necessarily playing a mana creature. And then if you have Rishkar, you can Gear Hulk on four, but otherwise I do think you need some stuff to do on four. And that, to me, is just kind of like, that's your, your Hissing Quagmire turn, I guess, or your Blooming Marsh turn. Is there not just like a four drop that actually has four, four power that's reasonable? There's the Crocodile, the Haze Crocodile. Let me, let me read this card one more time. I know what you're talking about, it's just I don't remember exactly how it's worded. It's a 3G, 5-4 haste that puts counters on one of your things. Yeah, this card's probably just great. I'm sold. You can also just, like, put the counter on Ronus, and it's fine. Oh, and it is A-1-1 minus one, minus one counter. It's, like, not even a big deal. Yeah, I mean, you, you hit them for, for 9 damage on turn 4, just off the god in this. And that's assuming you don't have a 2. Right. There's, there is some dis-synergy with the snake. Yeah, I mean, that that is a decent tension in deck building. I don't, like, do you even have to play Winding Constrictor? I know that's kind of silly just because of how powerful it is a Walking Ballista, but, I mean, Rishkar is is good. Like, if you if you have the curve of turn 2 Constrictor, turn 3 Rishkar, it's obviously super powerful, but that, yeah. that's generally speaking, like, the only time it's great. So what if, what if we play Pacifist, maybe Ballista, and then we'll find something else? Like, maybe it's Scrap Heap Scrounger, and then you just play, like, 4 Rishkar, 4 Ronus, so, like, your turn 3 is just always great? Is is kind of awkward that they're both legends, but I I mean it, a little bit, but like if you're hitting them with Ronos, like you're winning. Yeah, that that's how I feel too. Ooh, what if what if our two is like Noose Constrictor? I mean, I love Noose Constrictor; it's awesome. And at this point, we're not even black. That's true. Yeah, maybe this is just a way to build a green red deck or something. Okay. We're, okay. We're, we're not like okay, okay. Okay. How about how about just lock in green creatures, but leave that slash and that lower case letter ambiguous for right now. Yeah, green X. Okay. Okay, I'm down. Okay. I like the croc, man. All right, I like minus Liliana target Ishkana, but I like the croc too. Well, okay, so your your delirium deck is like grind them out. We just had this conversation about how you can't grind people out. 
Well, it's different. You can't, like, by traditional means, but if you have a Planeswalker on the battlefield and you can protect it naturally by casting the Planeswalker, you're, you're kind of grinding them out, but you're also just doing something more powerful than them. Yeah, so in, in two or three turns, your goal is to overwhelm them. It's not like I'm trying to, like, pound for pound beat them by top-decking them. I'm just going to beat them with Liliana. Yeah, so you, you use a few things to slow them down. I imagine Tooth the Slaughter is a very big part of your game plan, because that card seems still seems great. Yeah, you're doing, like, spidery things and just Liliana-ing your spider, and hopefully that's good enough. I mean, it's also the best that Vessel's ever been outside of, like, you know, powering up Emrakul, is that you, you dump your thing, you pick up your Liliana, or you pick up, like, your fifth land or whatever you need, and then you just, like, naturally curve Liliana and return your thing. And this, yeah. this is a lot better. Like, it sounds like that's basically what Last Hope did, which to some extent it did, but the returns on mana that you're getting is just so massive. Yeah, it's insane, for sure. I mean, you're 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 spending five to get ten, whereas Liliana is, like, spend eight to get, you know, your your five mana thing and whatever value Liliana accrues for you, right? But it's... A semi-functional Planeswalker. Like, sometimes the plus one is good, don't get me wrong, but... Plus one, make a zombie is is worth a card. And then the second time you're minus three, and it's basically game over. Yeah. And in Liliana, Death's Majesty, is that what it is? Yep. This one is definitely worth paying five mana for. Like, you are getting immediate value. Yeah, Last Hope was just, like, a little too small ball, I think, for what the control Delirium decks were trying to do. Like, I would prefer to have, like, a big massive effect like this card. I think it allows you to close the game a lot faster. And in the early turns, you're generally just, like, dealing with their threats anyway and like setting up and stuff like you don't want to necessarily play Liliana then like I I'm, I like the plan of just like jam it on turn five or turn six and make a bunch of power that's uh definitely something I am I'm interested in so far green black could be could be like delirium mid-range control just our our terms don't mean anything anymore like all of these terms are just blending together at this point but oh every deck we've talked about is a mid-range deck that's just magic yeah that's one option. Other option is just, like, typical aggro deck. Maybe try the croc. The other one is, like, energy or jund, which is kind of what the deck evolved into at the end of last season. But aside from, like, Ronus and Manglehorn, it didn't really get anything new, you know? It's like, the energy stuff isn't great. I feel like as time goes on, that stuff is going to get outclassed a little bit by the new cards. Surely agree. I do think it's possible to build, like, a Long Tusk Cub Ronus deck. That's legit. Long Toss Cub takes, like, a little bit to get active, unless you have, like, kind of the nut draw. Yeah, a little bit of work, but that, that card definitely snowballs by itself. I don't know. Ronus is just good. It's just good in everything. No, I agree. I, this, I mean, it's it's three mana, and it has the text 5-5 five, five Indestructible on it. Yeah, also pumps your other stuff. Yeah, that, that ability cannot be ignored either. Like, Nylia was a thing. So, like, you're going to attack... You know, some planeswalkers with three creatures or whatever, and they're just going to be like, what the hell do I do? Yeah. I just can't do anything. They suddenly have no good blocks, and, like, you're probably just eating all their stuff. I wish I wish that card was not, like, 15 or whatever it was. I would probably buy some. Jeez, is it really $15? That's what it was last time I checked. It could have gone up. Who knows? Yeah, Liliana's probably, like, 50 or something nonsense like that. Realistically, 25. 40. 25. You know, that that's actually doesn't make me want to vomit. What, what about, uh, how do you feel about Harsh Mentor at $12? Uh, the fact that I don't know what that card is is a huge red flag. It's the Hate Bear? Oh, oh, oh. The activated ability to take two? It's just rare, right? It's just rare. I mean, that's just, that's overhyped. These cards are just universally overrated. I mean, it's good, but just like, what was it back in the day? Was it Burning Tree Shaman? Oh, yeah, yeah. Cedric has played with that card a lot. I mean, it, it was fine back in... Ten year ago, standard when a three mana three four was a 
respectable thing, and you're allowed to print the number one on any creature. <laughs> well, now we have three mana 5-5 five, five indestructibles. Yeah, I mean, you, you just literally can't print the number one on a creature and it'd be playable in any capacity. All right, so week one, what are you looking at? What are you probably going to play? Are you going to just, like, play some brew, or what's the deal? Because I don't think I'm going to Atlanta. Um, so I'm probably going to go to Atlanta with Tom, and uh, Chris Larson's coming into playtesting early, so he's going to be hanging out for a bit. So. Oh, I was trying to think of what Chris you were talking about, and I just assumed it was, like, Cothran. Oh, no. Although Chris Cothran is lovely as well. Yeah. I'm probably going to default to something like an updated Mardu version, a blue-red Emerge deck, a green-black Delirium deck, or maybe a blue control deck, but I, I generally don't like playing just, like, generic control deck week one. Yeah. My vote is for blue-red Emerge if you want to have fun, and black-green Delirium if you want to win. Yeah. Uh, hopefully I can get Emerge in a space where it's, like, you know, top 16 and have fun. And, and good God, don't play Mardu. Uh, yeah, that's probably just, like, a waste. Sounds miserable, and you're not going to learn anything, and whatever. Yeah. Who cares? But, you know, those are, like, the range of decks that I can probably reasonably play, and my team won't get mad at me, so. Well, we initially were going to talk, potentially, about what would happen if there were bans and stuff, and since we're over an hour at this point, I would just say that uh, things will probably change. We did good. I was a little concerned we wouldn't have enough to talk about, but I guess, you know, somehow we found a way. I don't know. Things will change... But I think, generally speaking, the decks we outlined would still be good. I could see, yeah. like, Mardu still being playable, even without Gideon allies in a car. You might just move towards, like, three mana Gideon, Chandra, and Nahiri just become more control slanted. Yeah, that's the thing, too, is, like, if you ban Gideon, it's like, okay, I'll play Chandra, and I'll play Gideon of the Trials, and it's like, is this even, like, that bad of a thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, it makes the deck worse, sure, but, like, it kind of makes the ban look like a joke. That's that's why the only thing that really makes sense is, like, banning Felidar Guardian if it actually comes to that. But it seems like there are enough things, and the format's getting faster, which makes it much worse for, like, Rogue Refiner and company, so... Yep, and there's lots of just incidental permanent-based hate. Even, like, cards we haven't talked about at all in Amaket. If you look through the Amaket spoiler, there's, like, five or six cards that interact with the Sahili combo. Not, not yeah, many of them are particularly good, but they, they are there. But just completely on accident, so... Yeah, post-board, you are definitely going to have to pivot. Yep. I think my 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 top choice of, like, incidental hate that looks playable is the 1B curse. Yeah, I don't like it, but that one's fine. I do actively like Manglehorn, just as a way to, like, kind of pressure them, just like in a Thalia style. Obviously, Thalia is way better, but Manglehorn's a card that you can, like, main deck and just be happy with. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, but if... If you end up, like, you know, say you're a blue-black control deck and you really want a hate card, then Trespasser's Curse is totally respectable, I think. Yeah. All right, man. Are you excited? We got we got the Patreon going. We got a Pro Tour coming up. You hit Legend in Hearthstone. Yeah. No, I, I, I learned a lot about Hearthstone in the last four days. When are we going to do our Hearthstone episode? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. That means never. I, I, that means never. I, I don't know if anyone has been paying attention who listens to this podcast, okay. but that means never. <laughs> okay, so, so like, you know, we're, we're talking, like, maybe we need to find some, like, interesting incentives for the Patreon. Maybe a Hearthstone episode would be a good one. Uh, I don't think so. I think it's uh, very narrow. Do you think maybe, maybe that's a disservice to some of our fans? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I, I think that there are certainly... You know, a number, a reasonable number of people that play Hearthstone that also listen to this, but at the same time, it's just like, you know, what about the people that like the podcast and would like to get incentivized for things that they actually care about, right? Like, it doesn't hit everyone, so it should be a value add, not just sure a 
Yeah, not I, not a reward. I, I think for us to reasonably do it, we would just have to like sit down and be like, "Fuck it, we're gonna do a Hearthstone podcast, just extra." Which, if you want to do that, hit me up. I'm down. Okay, I'm kind of down. Probably not this week, but maybe next week. Sure. Yeah, that sounds. Good. Which also, which also probably means never. But you know, no, that that would be fine. I, I think I'm probably gonna play Hearthstone for four or five more days before like I actually just have to like sit down and start playing a bunch of Magic. Okay. Well, if you want to soft lock it in for next Tuesday, I'm in. Yeah, sure. Sounds fun. I'm not exactly sure how we would structure it or what we would talk about exactly, but I'm sure we can find something. Well, there are a couple different ways, right? It's like we could just talk about the game in general, or we could talk about like current metagame stuff. Yeah, maybe like 50-50 would be fun. Okay. I actually cool. like have learned all the matchups for at least like two decks, so can probably contribute at least a little bit. Sweet. Well, that's game. <laughs>